0: Today is April 23rd, 2018, and you're listening to Human Factors Cast, Episode 87. Today on the show, we are talking everything from Boeing's engine failure to on-demand medical transports and the new anti-cyber attack pledge. Stay tuned, because Human Factors Cast starts right now.
1: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things Human Factors, psychology, and design.
0: Hello, everybody, Human Factors fans and practitioners. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today across the way by Mr. Blake Arnstorff.
2: Oh, it's good to be across the way, Nick. How are you doing this week?
0: Hey, I'm good. I'm good, Blake. Uh, you know, aside from the couple false starts uh, <laughs> that we just had, you know, we're we're professionals behind the scenes here. We we try to put on a good quality podcast, and messing up the intro is is uh, definitely something that <laughs> you know we try to we try to not do on the show. And good thing it happens right away because then we can just stop and start right over. I think it was four this time. What was it, four?
2: Four. Four is the lucky number, though. We have good shows when we have to do so many false starts. I've <laughs> noticed that. I don't know if
0: you have, but it's the truth. <laughs> I think so, and it puts us in a good mood. Blake, what is going on with you, man? It's been a whole two days since we talked?
2: Oh, my goodness. It's been well, a whole two days. Well, yeah, I guess... It's been a whole...
0: Hold on. I guess it's been a little bit more for our our, our frequent listeners. Uh, we have Human Factors Cast Infinite, which we will plug in just a minute, but it is the uh, Patreon-only subscriber... Uh, Human Factors cast that where we talk about a wide variety of topics. Uh, but yeah, we just we just met on Saturday to talk about that because we knew we were going to have a big, big bustling week full of a bunch of different things going on with Kai uh, happening in Montreal. So, so Blake, what's been going on with you? I Sorry, I cut you off
2: there to talk about Infinite. No, it's going to be a big week and I hope everybody's ready for it because I'm super stoked for all the stuff with Woodrow. But, uh, so, Nick, something I do every morning is I wake up at like 5.30 and I hit the gym. By five forty-five, that's just down the street. And I have to say, there is something amazing to me about like the camaraderie of people and how you can push yourself a little bit harder when you're around when you're like around other people. So typically, it's just me working out at, like six a.m., uh, just trying to get get myself going in the morning. But the past couple of weeks, I've been working out with a few different people, and it was funny just watching today as we're all finishing off this workout pushing a sled with like 160 pounds on it up and down the parking lot of this gym that we work out at. And it's it's a, just a weird psychology moment that I had that it was like, if all these people weren't here cheering me on or like saying something saying like, you could do it, I'm pretty sure that I would have fallen flat on my face like round one of pushing this giant sled across the parking lot. So I was wondering if you've ever had a similar situation like that where you were doing something that if you were by yourself, you know that you would have struggled probably twice as much to do, but since there were other people around and there's that kind of social aspect to it, you're able to overcome.
0: Definitely, but probably not in the same kind of positive manner that you just talked about. I've definitely experienced that with eating food um, where, you know, like, I bet you couldn't eat this. And to let our listeners know, I've had a health unhealthy relationship with food in the past and um, thankfully have changed my lifestyle. But in the past, you know, someone would bet me that I wouldn't be able to eat you know, a certain amount of things. And it, it works in the opposite direction, too. You can definitely encourage uh, uh, not-so-great behaviors, uh, de- self-harming behaviors uh, under the same influences. And, you know, just be just be cautious how you use that type of, uh, I don't know, social pressure.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely true because something else that I do at this particular gym a couple of times a week is jiu-jitsu. And that's come up a few times is when your coaches try to push you because there's more people in the room, and I don't know, I'm a white belt, so I'll end up hurting myself more so than if I had just, like, you know, kind of took it, taken it easy instead of trying to go 110 against the wall. Uh, so I definitely understand in the negatives aspects, but I, I guess this is something I, even as, as a psychologist who, like, had classes experiencing kind of like social psychology and things like that, or just those constructs, I still forget how powerful all of that can be on outcomes of situations whether it like you said be positive or negative
0: yeah it's it's i know i always have those moments too where i'm out and about and i just have this random thing happen uh where i know the psychological explanation behind it but it's still fascinating to me and still makes me ponder why are things happening in a certain way yeah it's it's intense
2: i don't know but nick what's going on with you man
0: Well, Blake, uh, I got to say to our listeners first, we're on dog watch right now, right? We're on dog watch 2018. Yep, Dog Watch
2: 2018. We have some
0: <laughs> yappy pups coming in in a moment. Okay, so so just to let our listeners know, there may be some background noises happening uh, due to some circumstances uh, of where Blake is recording. I just want to let everybody in on the secret before it happens. Uh, that way they're, they're not surprised. But Blake, I have been working on this pet project of mine. Uh, I mentioned this on our Human Factors cast Infinite uh, earlier this week, but... This is a pet project of mine that I've kind of wanted to do for a while. Uh, thanks to our Patreon subscribers, we are actually now uh, getting the opportunity to kind of play around with some of these different formats, right, for the show. And we, we launch those exclusively to our Patreon-only subscribers. And so w- what I've been working on is sort of this, um, this podcast directory, if you will, right? There are a lot of podcasts that kind of talk about... Uh, human factors in bits and chunks, right? They'll tell a story about something that happened like Three Mile Island or something. And that one's kind of a more specialized case where it's all about human factors. But like, you know, let's say there's something that happened about, uh, I don't know, this Boeing story that that we'll talk about this week. There's a lot of different facets that go into that story, right? There's the engineering piece of why the engine failed. And again, we'll get into this later. But then there's the more human element about What did the pilot have to do? What did air traffic control have to do? And a bunch of podcasts kind of talk about these uh, and and the human factors pieces piecemeal. It's not all in one place. So what I've been doing is I've been going through and kind of collecting all the kind of one-off topics, if you will, and collecting them into one place in a podcast directory that says, like, here's the podcast name, here's the episode, here's how it relates to human factors, here's some tags. What I'm going to do is for our Patreon-only subscribers is I'm going to go through And uh, potentially, Blake, you and I will uh, create some of these very focused, very tailored human factors episodes that will kind of talk about these events or, you know, like we did in the early days of Human Factors Cast, an episode all on controls and give examples from other podcasts and just have that kind of synthesis where you get very focused, very uh, interesting information that only pertains to the human uh, and, and really is human factors focused uh, rather than this sort of, you know, tugging at your ethos and pathos with all these uh, emotional stories and, and all that stuff. No, it's just the facts. It's what happened from the human factors perspective and a couple different takes on it. So I'm really excited about this passion project. I literally told Blake a couple of days ago that I, I, I was uh, kept awake at night because I, I couldn't stop thinking about this project
2: and how much I wanted to work on it. Which is always a good thing, right? If something's keeping you awake that much at night to do it. But I'm stoked to hop on and try and help out with this because I love the idea of really breaking stuff down from like a legitimate high-level human factors element. And I think it will get in some different insights potentially to what maybe you would see in a documentary or contrasting to maybe what what comes out or what's highlighted in some of these podcasts. Uh, something nick and i have talked about before is the the diversity of when you blame something on a human how much of that is really human error and what are the small things that are leading up to it so it'll be an awesome little series of things we can do and if bigger things come up in the news who, knew, who knows maybe we can just deep dive into some of these bigger incidents kind of like what we're going to talk about here in a moment with the boeing engine
0: yeah so so my last sort of uh cry for help i guess on this <laughs> it is a passion project right so so Uh, Obviously, I'm only one person, and I can only listen to so many podcasts, Uh, but we have a great community of Slack, uh, of folks in our Slack, Um, and what I'm going to ask you, if you're listening to the show... Hop in that Slack. Help us identify some of these episodes that are very tailored. I'm going to make the list available to everyone. As long as you're in our Slack, you'll get access to this list. It's the very specific tailored episodes that we're going to launch to our Patreon subscribers only uh, because that's a little bit more work on our part. But – this this can still serve as a great resource. You'll be able to search by tags. You'll be able to search by content. All the links are there for you. All the podcasts. Uh, so if you're listening to podcasts, which if you're listening to this, presumably uh, you're, we're hitting the right demographics. So, you know, we're we're hoping that to create some sort of shared resource for everybody, but then also take that a step further and and help the people who support us back. So. That's my pet project. That's what I've been. That's what I've been working on for the over the weekend. I, I spent a little time on it. So, I just uh, I th- I thought it was fun.
2: It's an awesome project. I'm super stoked to actually to get into one and really dive deep because that'll be fun to really release for everybody.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's get into some of these events. Uh, we got Kai this week. Our field correspondent Woodrow is off in the field in Montreal, Canada, uh, getting interviews and. Uh, creating exciting reports from out there in the field. So we have that to look forward later this week. Just to let you all know, this could be a shorter episode. We only got a couple news stories today because we knew we were going to kind of double down on the Kai coverage, if you will. Uh, we also got a couple other events here. We got UXPA in Boston Thursday, May 10th. We got AHFE International. That's in Orlando, Florida, 21 through 25 of July. We got HFES in Philly, October one through five, and HFES Australia coming to Perth in Australia. That's November twenty-six through twenty-eight. We'd like to give a community events shout-out, so that way, if you are near any of these places or or uh, have the resources to go to there, we have uh, people that are going to these things, and you may be able to meet up with them and and uh,
2: and potentially, you know, have a great conversation about human factors. <laughs> Most definitely, yeah. And if you happen to be going, hop in Slack and shout out that you are going to one of these because that way you can have people to meet up with, or we'd love to hear your experience about it. So let us know. Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right. So, Blake, why don't we go ahead and get into Human Factors News? Now, this is the part of the show where we talk about everything related to the field of Human Factors. This could be anything, you name it. As long as it relates to the field of Human Factors, it's fair game. Blake, what do we got at first this week?
2: (laughs) It could be anything. Alright, so Ford is actually launching an on-demand traffic transport service for non-emergency medical needs. So, the idea is to better help patients get to their doctor's appointments on time and without so much of a hassle. Uh, the, the transport service is called GoRide, it's the fleet of about 15 transit vans to accommodate people with various needs. The GoRide fleet can accommodate people with wheelchairs, thanks to flexible seats that flip up and actually lift the wheelchair. So, as a quote from for themselves, there's no excuse for the fact that so many people have trouble simply just making it to their medical appointments. And using human-centered design, they've created a high-touch, patient-focused service that truly understands and is tailored to patients and their needs. Ford service is focused on multiple social determinants of health and delivers the quality of care and on-time certainty that medical facilities need in order to increase throughput and reduce wait times. Now, Nick, this is a really interesting article, not just because Ford has thrown together a service to kind of help out with a lot of these, you know, people with specific needs in order to get to their medical medical appointments. But also it's a precursor for what's going to, I guess, take over in the rideshare world in general is that it looked like based on the article that Lyft and Uber and other services like that are trying to get into this game, too. And Ford looks like to be the first one out of the shoot to do it.
0: Yeah. uh, What's interesting to me is that there are these class action lawsuits being filed against these other ride sharing apps um, that don't provide this ability to be accessible to those uh, who are, you know, have have mobility disabilities like this is this is it's it makes perfect sense when you look at it. Right. And I guess it's like that if you're born without having uh, if you're if you're born advantaged, then you don't realize. What you're not getting right or, or what you're getting you don't realize what you're getting you get what I mean right y- if you're born yeah. advantage then then you're you're missing out on what these people uh, you're taking for granted what these people are missing out on and uh, this is this is a wonderful idea I think it's always important to remind ourselves that when we are designing we are designing not only for uh, well I guess it depends on your target user right but um, you're not just designing for the the target population you are also designing for accessibility so that way everyone can use your product like i said depending on your product you could be designing for a very specialized group of users but you know for a lot of products out there you want to have a wide reach and what better way to do that than designing for everyone
2: yeah no kidding i mean in the case of lyft and uber i can see how I can see why they're getting the lawsuits, but I also, from their perspective, I mean, this is people in their own vehicles, right? Taking up and being a part of this specific service. Um, And I think with, without the service being put out there specifically for something like this, like what Ford has done, then it does leave itself open for interpretation about what are really the constraints we have to fall under and all that kind of good stuff. But I'm really stoked that Ford is kind of pushing the envelope on this. And as Decided that they're going to release a test set of, I guess, of vehicles to try and accommodate these needs. Because it, obviously it's widespread enough that it's gotten attention of not only some of the bigger companies that are experiencing lawsuits behind it, but if Ford's dropping a test run for it, that's a pretty good indication that there's a an underserved market here.
0: Yeah. And and uh, back to the comment of being tailored for, or, or being designing for everyone. This one is actually a tailored design product for people with mobility issues. And they are actually, you know, have these specialized vehicles that allow people to, uh, perhaps with wheelchairs, to get in. And uh, I just, this is this is great.
2: Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an awesome project. And I really, I want to see it proliferate all over the country, because uh, I think that this initial test is going to be done in, like, Michigan or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Michigan. Uh, yeah, Michigan, so it's a, it's a great, I don't know, it's a great time to be alive, Nick. I think we see, we see such cool innovations like this to just basically help people. And you know that, I know from our perspective that uh, designing for accessibility is a big deal, but I just like seeing it in the news stories that we pull.
0: You know, now if they could only get the sort of, uh, the other problem of being motivated to go to the Dr. Solved, if they could do that, then they'd have the perfect picture, right? Because that's my problem, I, I'm just not motivated. I still have three yeah, references. That I
2: mean, flip God. side of the coin almost is, I don't, I don't know what we could do about people like yourself and I, because <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to make the time. I, I don't want to schedule the appointment. Like, it, I don't know. That's a whole different topic. I mean, who wants Maybe- to
0: find out that there's something wrong with them? <laughs>
2: I know. Well, that's the connotation, though, right, is that we get stuck in this idea that it's like they're going to tell me something's wrong with me. Well, they could potentially like keep you from getting to that point, right, yeah. as, as well as the flip side of that coin.
0: But that's for a whole other deal. That is a whole other deal. All right, why don't we get into our next story, our top story, I guess, if you will. Uh,
2: yeah, for sure. Top story and very, very... Scary and sad story at the same time. Yeah. So a mid-air engine explosion led to a woman's death and an emergency landing at F- Philadelphia International Airport last week. Passengers who were on the on board described the ordeal as completely terrifying. And the National Transport, Transportation Safety Board Chairman Robert Sumwalt revealed the latest information on the Southwest flight engine failure that led to the death of a woman on an emergency light in Philly. The manufacturer of the engine put out a service bulletin in the fall, telling all airlines to inspect the fan blades after a similar incident involving another southwest flight occurred. Officials with the airplane checked flight south 13, 1380 on Sunday, and the FAA is expected to order mandatory inspections across aircraft soon. So, Nick, this has just got a bunch of different kind of scary elements to it for me, or at least some that should have we you would think may have highlighted procedures to be put in place that would have stopped something like this potentially this is a lot of speculation of course uh but i mean if 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 a if a manufacturer of a specific part for a plane is putting these kind of bulletins out you would hope that it the inspections are going out across all fleets of aircraft that are are boeing in this case
0: yeah so that's the process piece of it right was this thing correctly inspected um and then you have like so so just to let our listeners know we're not going to talk about the engine failure. That is a completely different sort of that's an engineering failure, right? I I want to talk about the human the oops. Of that I got I got some stuff going. Where is that one coming from? Can't tell. You like to read books. Hang on. I have some audio going. I think it's the uh uh yep. autoplay killer. All right. So yeah, no. I I want to talk about the actual uh human factors of this event, right? So you have the pilot, you have air traffic control, you have the process in which this uh, engine was uh, evaluated um, you know and, and, and so we have all these bits and pieces, right So I guess we could talk about them um,
2: piece by piece. do you want to talk about the engine? Yeah, so we can go through. Let's just talk through, I guess, piece by piece, like you said. So the engine piece. I mean, like we, like we kind of mentioned, that is more so related to some kind of processing failure, potentially, right? Did it go through the inspection array that it was supposed to? How did that play out? Were there any indicators that were communicated to different, you know, types of flight crews that are involved in maintenance, and as well as like the ones that sit higher up that approve planes to fly and go, go um, from. Crafter or from airport to airport which also involve is funny enough i mean it involves not just you know maintenance crew but this also goes all the way to atcs because they want to know information about the aircraft as well uh um, prior to any kind of any kind of like landing or take off understanding really what the parameters are when that aircraft leaves as well as the pilot
0: yeah so it looks like uh I'm, I'm, I'm reading in on the inspection. They put out a service bulletin, but it wasn't mandatory. Now the FAA looks like it is ordering mandatory inspections, um, which, I mean, say what you want about the process, like mandatory inspections would definitely reduce the likelihood that something like this would happen in the future. Uh, it's just sad that, you know, for whatever reason, I, I really hope that they did inspect this and found, you know, no issues, but why would they if it blew up like this. I, I just don't know. There's there's too many things. It's been uh it's been a week since this event happened. I think this event happened the day after we recorded. So, uh, I was hoping that we'd know more information about it by now, but um, they're still investigating. I want to talk about the pilot though. This pilot Blake was a badass. In what sense? Uh okay, so let's see Tammy Joe. Uh let me let me get her full name here. Tammy Joe uh where is it uh i feel so unprepared let's see here tammy joe tammy joe schultz uh so you know what i'm gonna play uh, i'm just okay this pilot's a badass for a variety of reasons but let me just i'm gonna play a sample of the actual uh call to air traffic control here this is this is actual audio from the event i want our listeners to pay careful attention to how calm she is and what is being said over this call
1: okay here we go 2714 direct peace out direct peace out early 714 southwest 1380 like to turn start turning inbound and southwest 1380 turn uh, just start turning southbound there there's a southwest 737 on a four-mile final We'll be turning southbound start looking for the airport it's off to your right and slightly behind you there and uh, altitude is your discretion. Use caution for the uh, downtown area. Maintain, uh, advise you maintain out above 2,200 for the uh, MVA. Okay, could you have the uh, medical meet us there on the runway as well? We've got uh, injured passengers. Injured passengers, okay. And are you, is your airplane physically on fire? No, it's not on fire, but part of it's missing.
0: Part of it is missing. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that, that shows that you
2: and... amazing training and the... The like procedures that are in place to handle this, because think about how the ATC responds too. Yeah, here, it's just like immediate question.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna play that response here. Here we go. And
1: uh, someone went
0: out. Someone went out. Okay, it's key.
1: Um, I'm sorry, you said there was a hole and somebody went out. South of 1380, it doesn't matter. We'll work it out there. Uh, so the airport's just off to your right. Report it in sight, please. In sight.
0: Okay, so that's just a small sample. Uh, I posted the full video of that. Uh, uh, horrifying to listen to sort of um, audio clip in our Slack. So if you're interested in the full conversation, uh, you can hear it there. But it is a a it is crazy that that these pilots are able to remain calm when half of their plane are in the sky. You know, it reminds me of that. Uh, I'm gonna be real nerdy here. That it reminds me of that line in episode three of Star Wars where, uh, uh, oh shoot, I'm gonna get reamed if I get this wrong. I think it's. Uh, Anakin says, at least we're flying half a ship or something like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting too, Nick. I mean, if you think about it, she's, she's already like asking for approach, you know, like approach procedures and stuff like that. And that's not even the first thing that comes up. It's asking for specifics that you would normally ask for like turns or anything like that. And there's no indication until a couple of like calls in that they need medical assistance. Which, which like, flip, on the flip side of that means that okay, obviously the, these pilots are well-trained and so are the crew of the aircraft that have this thing under control. But at the same time, it's, it's odd in this day and age, especially with so much technology that we have now like, imbued an aircraft that the ATCs wouldn't even know right away that anything had happened on this aircraft at all. Like, there, there's no no telling that there was any kind of engine failure. There was no telling that there was any, any kind of medical problem or r- related with this aircraft just trying to land. I mean, you could listen to the ATCs just trying to give them the normal procedures like, hey, uh, just stay above skyline, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, so I just want to give a couple more details about this pilot. So... Tammy Jo Schultz uh, was the first woman fighter, one of the first woman fighter pilots in the U.S. Navy history. Um, and she was the first to pilot the F-A-18 jet. Uh, and let's see here. She also flew in an aggressor squadron. Like there's, So she's Navy trained, which is very apparent in the way she approaches this conversation with air traffic control. Uh, and it, it just, it's great to, <laughs> That she was, she was able to remain calm in a situation where I think most of us, if we sort of understood the gravity of the situation that we are in charge or are responsible for uh, a lot of lives, you know, as, as long as we land this plane, they will survive. Uh, unfortunately, you know, one life was lost. But, I mean, she saved everyone else on that plane. And, and the life that was lost was due to oxygen deprivation, I believe, uh, due to the... Um, due to being sucked out the window halfway
2: yeah that's that's so intense but it it is incredible that people that humans at all are able to withstand that kind of you know mental duress right i mean you can you can tell you can say that it it, a lot of it may have to do with navy training but i would guarantee you that a lot of just pilots in general are going to handle situations that way and it's it comes down to obviously good good interpersonal skills good selection skills for being a pilot and as well as the, the training the faa requires
0: yeah now i want to approach it from the uh atc the air traffic control side of things now uh i don't think they're trained to be as steeled as some of these pilots are because you can tell by the guy's reaction he's like wait did you just say you're there's it's damaged and somebody flew out And then I think his his supervisor must have jumped in and said, it doesn't matter. We'll get somebody on the field. Uh, Just worry about flying in. Um, So, like, I I don't know if this guy was green behind uh, the gills or something, you know, if if he was new to the job. Uh, But it's apparent that his shock uh, came through.
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll think about why, too. I mean, you don't want to put that kind of atmosphere in your cockpit. Yeah, like if you're the one kind of having the adverse reactions, you don't want to do that. And and on the ATC floor, I don't know how much like interactions you've ever had or if you've been to a, like a, a an ATC's like Tracon center or any of that stuff. But it's it's pretty intense. I mean, these people are trying to divert so much traffic and make make sure that things are going up and down the right place to avoid crashes and they work really long shifts and, but you're, you're likely right. I mean, there probably was a supervisor that was right on and said, okay, well, let's just run through the rest of the procedures we need to go through. And it might've had something to do. Like you were mentioning just the sheer calm that was coming across from the, uh, the ex fighter pilot. Uh, but I, it seems like from, from everything I saw vice, like whatever happened to the air with the engine, like it was handled very well on the ground, uh, once once everything kind of leveled out which is a, again a testament to like good procedures being put in place in terms of air traffic control and all that kind of good stuff yeah um okay well why don't we go ahead and thank
0: all of our friends over at uh and nbc philadelphia for all of our news stories this week if you guys want to follow along you can follow us all over social media or join us in our slack for links to the original articles all right blake what do we got up
2: last this week Okay, this was this is pretty intense. So Microsoft, Facebook, and Cloudflare, among others of the technology firms that are big in this country, have signed a joint pledge committing publicly not to assist offensive government cyber attacks. The pledge also commits them to work together to enhance security awareness and the resilience of global the global tech ecosystem. So the top four line the the four top line principles the firms are agreeing on are. We will protect all of our users and customers everywhere. We will oppose cyber attacks on innocent citizens and enterprises from anywhere. We will help empower users, customers, and developers to strengthen cybersecurity protection. And lastly, we will partner with each other and with like-minded groups to enhance cybersecurity. So notably, uh, who's missing from the list includes Amazon, Apple, and Google, and nor indeed the most jovial. The, the most mobile carriers that we have are also not part of this yet. But so, Nick, this is a strange concept to me because it it seems like that they're signing something that they will help each other and each other being tech as a like kind of bigger ecosystem help out figuring out things with cybersecurity and how to put in put in measures that'll help people you know whether it's their users customers or developers but I'm a little confused about the wording in the original article saying that they're not going to assist offensive government cyber attacks.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure so uh, yeah I kind of glanced over the article before we read uh, before we started the show today and I don't remember
2: the government uh, clause what was what was the government clause there? Yeah, it just it literally says so that the firm signed a joint pledge committing publicly not to assist offensive government cyber attacks. Oh, okay. So w- what I'm getting from it is that they're they're banding together to help each other with defining cybersecurity protection better and how they can, you know, use principles across different companies and how it can help users and customers, but when it comes to getting involved in more high-level government cyber attacks, they're not going to I guess hop in or put any aid to them
0: oh i think it's the other way i think i think they have signed uh, read the sentence again it says they have signed a joint pledge committing publicly not to assist offensive government cyber attacks so i think this is directly in response to the russia investigation um where there is uh there was a attack on the u.s democracy from russia where uh they've influenced our elections through S- several cyber attacks, you know, whether or not it's through social media or, or any of the Cambridge Analytica stuff that's come out. Uh, we have been under attack uh, cyberly, cyber attacked, if you will, uh, by another country. And I think what they're pledging here is that they will not stand for any sort of overt government interfering or, or trying to um, attack another government
2: or, or individual through the use of cyber attacks. I that's that's how I read it. Oh, okay. Well I'm glad I I'm glad you're the host and I'm the co-host because <laughs> I definitely read this completely differently. But the I still have a similar comment to what I what we talked about in the like guidelines for AI, in that this these are all good blanket statements, but I'm I'm wondering what execution is ever going to look like for a lot of these because they they go over kind of one big central theme is we're going to protect our users and customers from cyber attacks and it's it's I'd like to know more specifics of what that really means now when you have such big companies like Microsoft and I think it mentions of course Facebook and Cloudflare working together I mean that gives you a lot of hope of what they'll they'll come and band together and. Determine that they can do from a global perspective or from like a, a tech perspective. But again, this is, is this sounds like some great high level thinking, but I wonder what it looks like in implementation.
0: Yeah. It's, I, I'll be curious to see what they do, what they actually do, uh, whether or not it's share code that prevents cyber attacks with each other. I mean, we have what 34 different companies uh, have signed up to this cybersecurity tech accord. And, uh that's that's hopeful for to me. I mean, I didn't have chance to dig deep into this, but um you know, it does go into a little bit more detail about these four pillars, right? And I'm I'm especially interested in pillar number four, which was we will partner with each other and like with like minded groups to enhance cybersecurity. So uh they they are saying that they will establish formal and informal partnerships, uh you know, with with industry, civil society, and security researchers across proprietary and open source technologies to improve technical collaboration, coordinated vulnerability disclosure, and threat sharing. Uh, so it sounds like, at least in some regard, there will be sharing of, of information, uh, which is good, right? Because that's what you want. And now, whether or not that includes code sharing to protect from cyber attacks, I'm not sure. It would make sense for that to be the case, but... With any sort of code that is released publicly or, uh, you know, at least to another company that it, it <clears throat> slowly closes the gap of what can be prevented. Right. So if that code is shared with somebody else, then um, they just need to figure out that code for for one of them and then they access all of them. So I don't know if they're all going to take their own unique approaches, but share lessons learned and and have sort of summits about this stuff or or what that's a little unclear um but it is it is uh exciting to to see that they are all kind of banding together now i i i can't speak as to why uh, apple and google did not join this um but you know hopefully hopefully there's a there's a future where they do join this
2: yeah, I wonder why as well. And hopefully maybe we'll see over the next like couple of days or maybe in a week or two why that is, or if this grows in number, if we'll get another story about it with some more specifics. But I, I mean, I think I think the real utility of this for most people, and I think for engineers like ourselves or anybody interested in kind of data science too, is trying to develop what, what real measures can you put together that are, are going to protect, protect data more from being distributed. And then how can you you know, because a lot of the benefit here would be able would being would be being able to collaborate between these giant companies. But like Nick said, if you're if you create open source tools, you're kind of running the risk of vulnerability. So how do we develop just best practices around data to make it more locked down or to even change how we share open source tools to for this specific kind of like cy- cybersecurity um, community? So I'll be interested to see how it all puts together and then. What what in the end of the day they do in terms of like putting together, you know, like a cybersecurity council that helps to try and regulate all of this stuff that's going on.
0: Yeah. Uh, sorry, just to follow up on your your question about the government uh, clause earlier, they have <clears throat> a, uh, a no offense Uh, Or no offense uh, clause that says these companies will not help governments launch cyber attacks against innocent citizens and enterprises and will protect against tampering or exploit exploitation of their products and services through every stage of technology development, design and distribution. So uh, hopefully that clears it up a little bit better. Definitely.
2: Yeah, much more clear.
0: What I can't find, so I'm on. I'm actually I'm on the organization website here. It's it's CyberTechAccord.org, and what I can't find is what companies exactly have signed up for this. Uh, and that is. Oh wait, here we go. I found them. Found them. Uh, ABB, ARM, Avast, Bitdefender, BT, uh, California Technologies, Carbon Black, Cisco, Cloudflare, uh, Datastax, Dell. DocuSign, Facebook. Oh, I'm glad DocuSign's on there. Fastly, uh, FireEye, FSecure, GitHub, GuardTime, HP Inc., HPE, Intuit, Juniper Networks, LinkedIn, Microsoft, Nielsen, Nokia, Oracle, RSA, SAP, Stripe, Symantec, uh, Telefonica, Tenable, uh, Trend Micro, and VMware. So uh, uh, a pretty big list of heavy hitters there.
2: Yeah, a lot of really intensive technology companies that probably are very aware of what's going on in the space and how to make changes. I mean, Oracle alone, in competition with Microsoft, should have some serious impact. But then you've got companies that are obviously very invested in security, like Simitech and even Cloudflare and some of F, like F-Secure. And I'm glad to see GitHub in there as well, because oh, yeah. I mean, that... H- leveraging the open source community as it already exists to kind of tackle these really intensive problems with how do you how do we make the, the i guess all these cyber products that we have a lot safer for people to use and how do we make sure that their data is not being exploited or their information is not being used in a way that you know benefits nefarious means whether it has to do with the government or somebody just stealing your credit card information yeah
0: all right well uh I think that's it for the news this week. Blake, I think we're going to go ahead and skip. It came from Reddit this week only because we got so much coverage coming out of Kai. So that's going to be it for today, everyone. If you guys have suggestions for news stories that you think we may have missed, it's totally possible. It's okay. You can send them our way. Uh, Follow us all over social media. We're on Human Factors Cast LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at HFactorsPodcast. Be sure to check out our SoundCloud and leave us a comment over there, what you think about the episode, or send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com. If you want to do things the old-fashioned way, you can leave us a voicemail at 901-646-1432. That's 901-646-1HFC, just like Human Factors Cast. You can also support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash humanfactorscast We just a big revamp, and like I said, we're having some exclusive content coming their way. So uh, if you can, if it's within your power, Go check it out and try to support us because we're we're trying to do our best here. <laughs> if you can't do that, that's okay. I understand. Just be sure to like, subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, or whatever for your favorite podcast directory is. That always helps us out too. And of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, thank you for hanging out with me today. We can find you tomorrow, but in the meantime, where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about Boeing engine failures?
2: Oh, you guys can find me across social media at Don't Panic UX.
0: Alright, as for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again, guys, for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until tomorrow, it depends, it
3: depends. I'm losing my voice.